welcome to the Tom Nelson podcast. Today I have Zuzana Janosova Den Boer here to talk about communism and maybe some other things. So could you introduce yourself a little bit to start us off? Good morning, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Yes, I would like to first introduce myself. So my name is Zuzana Janosova Den Boer. Unbelievable three words in last name. And by profession, I'm a professional engineer working for oil and gas industry. And I moved to Canada, Alberta, in 1997 with my family. And when I was moving to Canada, I was telling to my European friends that when I will live in Canada, I will not need to deal with Marxist ideology. So definitely I was wrong. I would say that I have personal experience with the Titan system. I grew up in communist Czechoslovakia. And I understand very well propaganda because I've been exposed to propaganda until Velvet Revolution, which happened in 1989. So I would say that everything for me, you know, I was concentrated on oil and gas industry and on the new projects. I didn't pay attention to politics at all. Happy camper, you know, until 2015, when we had provincial election, in Alberta and New Democratic Party got in power. The abbreviation is NDP. And I would say that all of a sudden I could hear the same slogans, the same phrases, which I could hear during communist Czechoslovakia, but this time in English. And it absolutely terrified me. And now I had a discussion with my husband who is scientist and I told him, communist one. And he said, no, they call themselves New Democratic Party. And I said, I don't give a fly how they call themselves. They speak like communists. So he asked me, can you explain me? What do you mean? We had discussion over two months about propaganda and explaining details. What is used for propaganda? And what is the result of propaganda? And especially how emotionally is affecting people. And my husband, who is born raised Canadian, okay, opposite me, he got terrified and he told me, please, write, uh, write uh, about propaganda, explain to us, uh, we just don't have any experience, we are naive. I have to say that those two months of discussions was also very, very helpful to me to understand also from scientific point of view, climate change main main as impossible. So he's geophysicist. So it was very beneficial discussion on both sides. So that's what, and in, I wrote the article, it took me 18 months. And only when I found, um, I found the interview from 1984 with Yuri Bezmenov, KGB defector. And he had the interview and in his interview, he explained methodology and steps which was used by KGB to subvert society and all those small pieces which I was putting trying to put together they all of a sudden they clicked so once I was done with my article I which was titled or it is titled I survived communism are you ready for your turn so I asked my husband to do proofread because his uh, English is higher level and and 
English grammar and me, we are just not friends. So let's put it this way. So it won't change probably. So once this was done, I offered my article, which has around 3000 words, so it's more essay to many different mainstream medias, just name few, Globe and Mail, okay? So I believe I sent also to National Post, Calgary Sun and uh, Calgary Herald, nothing. So I went with plan B. And plan B was just to use social media, my social media to publish. And also I was watching already on social media, different alternative journalists or people who were publishing stuff. And I found Spencer Fernando. So I sent him my article around 2nd or 3rd of January, 2019. And he immediately published that within two hours. And it went viral. When I was writing that, I really didn't know who outside of my husband and few friends who also were giving me feedbacks, all of them, they grew up also in communist Czechoslovakia, if somebody else will read that. So I'm very pleased to see that the article was not only translated into few languages, including German language, but part of my article was used by Dr. Merkola, who was writing article also regarding propaganda, more focus on what was happening during the last two years than climate change. So I'm glad that few people, they could read that and they gave consideration. That article is fantastic. I've read it a couple of times. I just read it again yesterday. I'll put a link to it in the show notes and I'm going to highly encourage everybody to read it because it is really good. And I'm glad that it went viral. And I can tell you put a lot of time into it, but the information in there is, is so important because people like us, uh, kind of fat and happy, don't realize what it was like under communism. So your perspective of what it was like to actually live under communism is very important for us to hear about. Well, thank you very much. I can tell you when I was writing this article, this was message to Canadians. In 2019, we had federal election and I was literally fearing this federal election. But now after three years and gaining even more information and more experience and see what was happening last three years, I would say that this is message to all Western societies, not only to Canada. So that's the first difference between what was published three years ago and what is now. The second difference is I named three stages of uh, subversion of society. And I said that we are in the second stage. The first stage was polarization. The second stage was demoralization. And the last stage was revolution. Now I would that we uh, we have four stages and the, the one I also mentioned, but I would now to specify that a little bit. So it's polarization, demoralization, destabilization, and then revolution. At the end of article, I said that we are in the second stage, demoralization. Now I would say we are in the last one, revolution. And basically all parts, all stages are going at the same time with full speed. And that's why we moved to the last stage, revolution. We see also revolution. So in this podcast, I would like to explain, number one, each stage, and number two, which groups and tools, all dictators, 
they always use to achieve all those stages. And the result is definitely to convert free democratic country to totalitarian state. Yeah, let's do that. Sounds great. Well, at the beginning, I have to also say, I will use also sometimes my notes, so you will see me also to read, because English is my second language, we won't change that. And I don't want to lose anything, like everything what I wanted to say. And I wanted to stipulate one thing, that if we wanted to characterize the word communism by one word, that word is deception. So... Communists, basically, they, they and dictators, generally, they will never disclose their real attentions. They will come under different names, different phrases, maybe, but especially different names. We know that uh, the word communism and fascism was discredited. Everybody recognized both systems as totalitarian. So... What I can see now, because I'm paying attention to people's actions, now they spread themselves, all those dictators in the different uh, political parties. So we can see them in Democratic Party, in Liberal Party. We can see them in Conservative Party, believe or not. And when I'm watching a little bit U.S. politics, I see even some of them in Republicans. So my recommendation is, you do not pay attention to words when politicians they speak. Words are cheap. Pay attention to their actions. How do they behave? They know that if they would call themselves communists, nobody would give them any vote, right? Or maybe very, very few people. They would not have a chance to win election. So they start calling themselves differently. And in America, there is even new phenomenon, socialist democratics. Well, I grew up in socialism and I can tell you there was no democracy there. So I can't say that at oxymoron. So let's go to those stages. As I said, four stages, polarization, demoralization, destabilization, revolution. I'll try to speak slowly. So hopefully we, we, can, we can understand everything. So the first one is polarization. So dictators, they have to introduce two emotions in polarization, victimhood and fear. Those two emotions are very crucial. So what is victimhood? Victimhood is feeling of being hurt, damaged, or made to suffer, especially when you want people to feel sorry for you. It produces the victim mentality. And we know that with victim mentality, people, they, they might have really hard time to take responsibility for their lives. So how is this notion of victimhood used by dictators? In order to win power, dictators first miles polarize the target society. And the notion of injustice is introduced. And that's how this novel idea of social justice has been born. You have no idea how many times we heard during communism, this, those two words, social justice, everything, everything was done in the name of social justice during communist regime in communist Czechoslovakia, just to let you know. 
So first example, which I would like to use to show you is when they are turning employees against employers. So one group of people, poor workers, are made to feel victimized by a second group to the point that they demand civil dis discourse. I would like to mention now one quote from George Orwell, who said, communists don't care about poor people, they just hate rich ones. And this is so, so true. Also, I can tell you that communists, they don't care about environment. They just hate humanity. As is not a very, very good quote. So in communist Czechoslovakia, the owners of private businesses have been pictured as a heartless, spiteful monsters who exploit their em employees and don't care about their welfare. They don't care about people or the environment, only about their profit. Just pay attention to keyword profit. It's not wealth, it's profit. It always has to have negative connotation. So the word wealth sounds differently. The word profit is almost like you are exploiting me. So you can make more money or something like that. There is no question about what responsibility every private business owner has to take. No, it's only result. Everybody would like to have a result, but only if they are successful, right? Nobody would like to take their bankruptcy if they have to claim bankruptcy, right? So in communist Czechoslovakia, we, we always, we've been turned basically against a, a private ownership because we know that private ownership does not exist in communism. It's different a little bit in fascism, and I will come to that very soon. So during these recent years, I also could see another different narratives, which they also serve, serve a polarization of the society. So I would like to mention them. The first one, Me Too movement. Okay. I think the purpose was to turn women against men. The second one, climate change, and we will talk more in our podcast about that. That is the turning citizens against oil and gas industry, but also farmers and ranchers. Black life matters. That was turning races against each other. Again, to polarize society as much as possible. And then recently we had pandemic, COVID-19. So to turn vaccinated against unvaccinated and even inside families, which is very powerful. And now what we are witnessing, it's something absolutely what I call horrible, and it's identity politics, woke or cancel culture. Tom, I would like to read you, I would like to read you one quote from James Lindsay. I believe that he is uh, American. And he said that wokeness is fusion of critical theory school of neo-Marxism, which is form of identity politics and radical activism that has very particular worldview that separates the world into oppressed versus oppressor. Again, we have injustice here, as you can see. So this neo-Marxism is covered over and over with one called social justice. You see, this is just, in a nutshell, 
a narrative can change, but the methodology is the same. And it's basically to, to fragment society and to polarize, so divide as much as possible. So that is the first feeling, victimhood, okay? I'm oppressed, you are oppressor. The second is survival, it's fear. So I would like to talk about this one here and the fear definitely has a connection to survival instinct. So do you know what is the most effective tool to achieve complete control over society? The Nazi minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, was asked the same question. And his answer was one word, fear. Fear is primary tool to keep people silent and obedient. And what is the oldest and strongest fear? It's fear of death, which triggers our survival instinct. So now I will use one part of my article for people who will listen to this podcast and they didn't have a chance to read the article. In 1972, Gus Hall, then chairman of the Communist Party of United States, stipulated in his book, Ecology, human society basically cannot stop destruction of environment under capitalism. Socialism is the only structure which makes it possible. This is true in the struggle to save the environment. We must be organizers, the leaders of this movement. What is new is that knowledge of the no of point of no return, point of no return, urgency, will give struggle an unusual urgency. So this, his idea was incorporated in U.S. Green Party program in 1989. And this threat of global warming and climate change was used to scare the public into believing that humanity must save the planet. So what this Green Party said in, in their statement, this urgency makes confronting the greenhouse effect powerful organizing tool. Survival is highly motivating and may help us to build mass movement that will lead to large scale political and social change in very short time. First of all, we must inform the public that the crisis is more immediate and uh, that there, is, there are lots of implications and it's too great to wait for the universal scientific confirmation that only eco-catastrophic could establish. You see, they have to create urgency. We are dying, right? Maybe not in 2010, maybe 2020. Oh, not 2020, 2030. Maybe not 2030, maybe 2050. But we are dying, we are dying. So again, to, to, to create fear inside people. So this is first type of fear. Fear that someone or some group is putting your life in danger. And this also is the second type of fear. And it's also instrumental and used during this first stage of polarization. And this is fear to be demonized, ashamed, called by names or jailed by expressing your opinion. That fear will eliminate freedom of speech. In communist Czechoslovakia, anybody who opposed totalitarian narrative was called denier, 
anti-communist, traitor paid by American imperialists, and had to be removed from their position or jailed or executed. Communist Party of Czechoslovakia had one slogan, who is not with us is against us. And they act on this mantra. So when I moved to Canada, I remember watching discussion between two gentlemen. It was really interesting. At, at the end of the discussion, one said to another one, I might disagree with your opinion, but I will make sure that you always will have, will have opportunity to express your opinion. So that's the difference between totalitarian state, like who is not with us, it's against us, and between democratic, truly democratic country, where your opinion should be heard. So what do we do have now? Anybody who is questioning climate change narrative, it's climate denier paid by big oil. Well, I heard that in the past, okay? Whoever is questioning any of the narratives, which I mentioned is denier, and when we include all those other narratives, which I mentioned, it's also racist, anti-vaxxer, or even fascist. And maybe we are taking too much space and society should start to think how, if we should not be eliminate. So that's what we heard from prime minister of Canada because we, they don't know even if they should tolerate people who have different opinion. So I'm asking you, do we have the same freedom of speech which we enjoyed just one decade ago? I don't think so. Our freedom of speech, which is fundamental to any free democratic society, is eroding day by day. So that is first part, which is polarization. In nutshell, victimhood and fear. False emotions playing over and over and over and to split society as much as possible. Let's go to the second one, demoralization. So. The goal of demoralization is changing perception of reality. So how they can do that? By elimination of the traditional values, such as family, religion, and history of nation. In the order to achieve that, everybody has to start to lie to everybody. So politicians are lying to their people. Media are lying to their nations academics and professionals are lying to the public, teachers are lying to their students, and parents are lying to their children. The result is that indoctrinated people will completely lose the perception of reality and their morals. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, they lie to us. We know they are lying. They know we know they are lying but they keep lying to us and we keep pretending to believe them. I remember like today, before Velvet Revolution, that was like full time in communist Czechoslovakia. Everybody from establishment was lying to all of us and we were pretending that we believed them. So some examples, for example, how to erase history by destroying historical status, or burning books, or censoring climate historical data, not to discredit religion beliefs and start to control church. That is not a part of demoralization. 
commerce, they were always going after church. And what is definitely a new phenomenon, which I see now, is to discredit family values, role of parents, and to replace words like mom and dad with expressions like such parent number one and parent number two. The current gender identity narrative is now going directly after children. And it is scary. It's literally scary. So this is demoralization. Result is you will lose perception of reality. And basically, you don't know, but you are compromising even your moral values. So that is the second one, destabilization. So in this part, dictators, they, they're, they are focusing on bringing down economy and defense system. How they do that? by trying to eliminate principle of free market competition. That's number one. Then by eliminating small businesses. Why? Because dictator cannot control them. We could see during pandemic that all big stores and malls, they could be open, but the small businesses, they had to be closed. And then to control big businesses, which happened in Nazi Germany, that's the biggest difference between what I saw what was happening in communism and in fascism. In Nazi Germany, they did have private ownership and only big companies and Nazis, they were controlling them. Unfortunately, I see lots and lots of similarities right now, okay? And then to bring crisis, such an energy crisis, inflation, food shortage, that is also destabilizing society. Now, when we will concentrate on defense system, the focus is to disarm citizens, basically to collect their firearms under, under pretense of keep society safe, okay? And to weaken military, which I think it's happening as we speak. The purpose is to create complete financial and social dependency on government. So this is, this is part of destabilization. Bring down economy and defense system. And we can see energy crisis now in Europe. And by my opinion, also, and maybe in different color here on North American continent, everybody knows that we have horrible inflation. Well, I don't think, I, I literally think this is not coincidence that it was also in the card, how to subvert society. So let's talk about revolution. Lots of people, they think revolution is army tanks, just like we saw in first, second war. Well, this is, I would say, physical form of revolution, but revolution can be done also differently. And now I'm talking about psychological war to basically influence your beliefs and groups basically constantly crashing between themselves. So we are in psychological war for a very long time. Under pretense of peacetime, we are not in peace. And I think now during the last two years, it's definitely more visible. So once crisis will happen, dictators will offer their solution. Once you are fully dependent financially on, on government, then you need to survive. You don't have your means to survive. They're controlling 
if your accounts or even the, if you will be successful, if you will get job, if you will get apartment, everything, if you will travel. So you are starting to listen to what they are saying and you are forced to do what they will tell you. And very typical as a first step, how to, how to take completely people financially out of control is to offer them universal basic income. This is what I see now. Holy moly, just go for that. And then you will do what your dictator will tell you that you're supposed to do. Don't even think about something else. In the modern time, we can see that they are planning to, to use social credits and tra tracking what we will eat and if we will travel and where we will travel using carbon footprint, right? So George Orwell said in his book, Animal Farm in 1984, all tyrannies rule through force and fraud. But once fraud is exposed, they must rely exclusively on force. So based on the current situation, when we see this inflation and energy crisis, we know that uh, prices of energy in Europe, this skydrop. Watching that on a daily basis, what is happening in the UK, in Germany, and different parts of Europe, including former Czechoslovakia. And I'm expecting civil unrest. I'm expecting demonstrations and maybe in some form civil war. It is scary, but uh, people, they will have problem to heat their houses they will have a problem to put food on the table. It's, it's about survival. So those are in natural, those four stages, which I just explained. Polarization, demoralization, destabilization, and revolution. In order to achieve that, dictators, they have to know which groups and what tools they have to use. So I would like to go through them. And the first one is altruistic or idealistic, idealistic people. So dictator always focus on altruistic people, people with big hearts, full of good attentions, who believe in doing good for goodness sake. Why? Because those people are usually naive and easy to manipulate, especially via their emotions recognizing how essential these people are to, to the success of his uh, revolution, Lenin referred to them as a useful idiots. Those are people who are prone to believe in social justice narrative, which I mentioned before, and doing something for greater good. Well, I would like to also mention something what calls collective guilt. I don't know if Tom, if you are aware of that, but few years ago, I was listening to an interview with German scientists who said that renewables have only 8% efficiency in producing energy. And when he was asked why Germans agree with this investment, he explained that their politicians are using collective guilt card, proclaiming that Germany has to lead this battle for saving planet because they cause harm to humanity in the past. He was referring to Nazism. I was shocked. I said, bastards, this is really bad, really, really bad. So 
we have not only something like greater or collective good, we can have also collective guilt. So this is the first group, <clears throat> idealist or altruist. The second group, academia. Yuri Bezmenyo, which I mentioned before, in his uh, 1984 interview on subversion society disclosed the advice given to him by his boss. He said, my KGB boss always told me, never bother with common leftists. Forget about those useful idiots. Aim higher. Try to reach intellectuals, movie makers, and so-called academic circles. Identify people who are instrumental to public opinion. Concentrate on cynical, egocentric people who can look in your eyes and tell you lies. These are the most recruitable people. People who lack moral principles, who are either too greedy or suffer from self-importance. They feel that they matter a lot. They are political prostitutes and serve very well in the stage of demoralization of nation. So we, we don't know, but this is exactly what KGB was going after. I have to mention that in the second stage of demoralization, the educational system is always used to impose indoctrination on children. So children are also used very well in propaganda. My own indoctrination started in elementary school and our teachers participate in this process either voluntary or involuntary. But I remember teachers who actively reinforced communist indoctrination in schools they exploited child emotional immaturity, a lack of experience and knowledge to impose their communist ideas. They took advantage of their position of authority and the natural trust that children place in teachers to brainwash young and vulnerable generation. That was on constant base. So from history, we know that dictators always use children to create young brainwashed nation. This happened in Nazi Germany, Soviet Union, and different totalitarian system. Well, unfortunately, I can see the same trend now here in Western societies very, very much. So how many children have been told that they don't have a future because of global warming? Dictators also like to use another psychological trick, which is usually working on public. I wanted to mention that. I didn't mention it in my article. They choose one child, which they will start to promote and give him or her the status of celebrity, knowing that the young generation, which is lacking life experience, will be motivated by this fake success. They know that once this child will become adult, it will be useless to their narrative. So very good example is Greta Thunberg. I hope I pronounced her last name correctly. She had access to every parliament, politician, school, media. Do you think every child who would start to protest climate change would receive so much attention? I don't think so. Does she have the same attention now? No, she become adult. She fulfilled her role. And now she's disposable to her masters. 
That's who, who they are. They don't care what kind of damage they did to this child. And they did really big damage. I personally think that too much money and too much fame or attention in very young age, it's poison to young people because they didn't have a chance to learn that they have to work on success slowly, but steadily. So now I would like to again to use my article and read something from, from uh, one book published by Nadler. And this book uh, was called Captain Eco. And he basically published that in 1991. And he said that children, they have the responsibility to save the planet. And he said, your planet is in serious trouble from pollution, toxic waste, and the loss of forest, farmland. Your parents and grandparents have made mess of looking after the earth. They may deny it, but they are little more than thieves and they are stealing your future from under your nose. So what do you think how many children have been brainwashed and conditioned in believing that they have to save planet and they have to vote for, vote for government who will stop destroying planet. It's again pre preparation of one generation which will vote for you in the future. Personally, I think using children for propaganda is the vilest thing anyone could do. It's done with full knowledge that no adult feels good about to be rude to child or saying harsh things about them. So it's done to shut down debate and silence the opposition into submission. I personally think that there is reason why we should have private school and homeschooling. My personal experience in communist Czechoslovakia, all educational system was centralized. We had only public schools. The curriculum was controlled by Communist Party of Czechoslovakia and the attendance was mandatory. So government had completely under control education. The parents had no say in their children's education. Their children, we, become the property of the state. So that is very important. Now, I would like to touch another group, which is used in this version, and that is science, professionals. So as I mentioned previously, people who are working on the subversion of society are concentrated on professionals, including scientists. When I was in university, we had class called scientific communism. You believe or not, and I showed that to my husband, he laughed for half hour, he said, this is oxymoron. I said, it doesn't matter. And during one lecture, my professor said, it was scientifically proved that communism is the only social economic system providing masses with social justice and equality. Again, social justice, right? Equality. Did we hear that somewhere? And 100% of scientists agree on that. The topic is not up for debate. So as I said in my article, when first time I heard that here about this consensus of 97% of scientists, they agree that we have global warming man-made, I was immediately uh, starting to pay attention. And I have to say that most people, they don't question scientific statements because they think they are facts. 
they do not understand that scientific statements must always be challenged because science is not about consensus, ideologies. Remember, at the core of science is questioning. The question is essential to determine what is true and what is not. Now, it has become taboo to even think about questioning the science. Questioning now is anti-science. So we are told we have to must go with the screen propaganda. And why? Because we have to, again, follow the science. Now, I would like to mention something or talk a little bit about scientists who actually already recognize the screen propaganda. My husband, his name is Leonard Denbour, he wrote a book called It's the Sun, Not Us. And in, in his book, he said, when International Panel of Climate Change called IPCC was established, they immediately started to pressure the governments to support main-made global warming dogma and eco-socialist agenda. They basically asked scientists to participate in some research, and then they removed their statements and replaced it with scientifically unfounded and inaccurate claims coached in political rhetoric. In fact, the IPCC itself explicitly stated that scientific conclusion in their reports would be edited to ensure consistency with policy recommendation. So policy recommendation, right? We are still talking about science. So at this point, many of scientists originally involved in preparing these reports, they quit, realizing that they've been deliberately and cynically conned and that their credentials, they've been used to endorse political manifesto that would otherwise lack scientific credibility. So in attempt to limit the damage to their professional reputation, these scientists demanded that their names will be removed from all reports. Well, the IPCC decided to ignore their demands and the reports were published with their names still attached. Okay, so it's frustrating. While this is really bad, even worse is something what it's called scientific peer review process. In scandal involving leaked email communication, which subsequently become known as a climate gate, it become apparent that key global warming climate researchers were colluding with each other to prevent publication of technical papers that contradict or undermine global warming dogma. This fundamental corruption of scientific process is nothing short of catastrophic because it means that climate science, it's not science at all, but political ideology represented as a science and therefore cannot longer be trusted or relied on. Without skepticism, objectivity, and unbiased critical analysis, science is nothing more than ideology. And ideology is about control, not science. So the, another group which I wanted to definitely include is media. And I think this is the most important group and definitely tools. 
for subversion of society. Dictators always use the media as a form of persuasion to their state propaganda. The purpose it's basically done, it's to create feeling of unity that everybody is thinking the same way. And they know that this will influence people's belief and behavior. Unfortunately, people, they have this hurt instinct and they have tendency to follow the crowd. And it's very well known that whoever is controlling information, it's controlling their nation. All dictators, they knew that in the past. Joseph Goebbels, the minister of propaganda knew that as well. And he knew that messaging must be short, simple, emotional, and constant. And the key word in this sentence is constant. Every day from every media outlet. His famous quote was, if you tell big lie often enough, people eventually will believe it. In a communist Czechoslovakia, we had news letter called Pravda, which means true. Well, this periodical published everything but true. And I can tell you, Tom, that I thought that I will never ever will see again so much propaganda and lies printed in news. Again, I was wrong. The amount of lies and propaganda published right now by mainstream media or majority of them, it's astonishing. And in some cases, they contradict themselves, forgetting what they were publishing just a few months ago. They expect that people, they will believe them and they don't have any critical thinking. So they definitely surpassed what we had in communist Czechoslovakia. We don't have journalists anymore. We have just political activists. That includes also social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. All of them censored free ship with their fact checkers and experts. I have even personal experience with LinkedIn and I post something opposing climate change and also during COVID-19, they send me warning. And in one case, they even blocked my account for two months. That was really interesting. So what about searching engines such as Google? Well, let me read just recent news just two days ago. Melissa Fleming. Undersecretary General for Global Communication at the United Nations highlighted that the United Nations had partnered with several big technological companies such TikTok and Google to control COVID and climate narratives while claiming we own the science. They are not arrogant, right? Not at all. She said, we partnered with Google. For example, if you uh, Google climate change or on the top, you will see all of kind of United Nations resources. So any, anybody who is writing a little bit differently, it's a press, bang, bang, maybe, maybe page number nine, 10, 20, something like that. People, they don't go usually too far. They go through first and second page. What they can see, United Nations papers, right? So I have to say that people in Western societies have not been exposed to such a propaganda in their lifetime, never. The government was mostly caring for, for, for you guys. So you just don't have this experience. You become naive. You knew that you can trust politicians. You can trust a journalist. I came from exactly opposite system. Government, politicians, mainstream media, all of them, they were lying to us. And that 
taught me to question everything. Everything what was published, everything what politicians they said. So one advice, how to recognize propaganda. Don't pay attention to politicians. Pay attention to media. If they keep repeating the same narrative day and night, you should be suspicious. If you wanted to confirm your suspicious, try to contradict publicly. If they will start to demonize you, calling you names, like for example, climate denier, censor you, or even try to silence you, then you know that they are spreading propaganda. So that's the way how to recognize if we are dealing with propaganda or not. Because if they do not love debate and, and civilized democratic conversation, discussion, and we know that they are so trying to suppress free speech and impose their dogma, their political narrative. Very easy. The last one which I wanted to mention, and this one basically summarizes everything, all those tools which I mentioned, is mass psychosis. This phenomenon was discussed recently in quite few social medias. And the reason is because we arrived in really we are in a really bad situation, I would say. We have to ask ourselves how we get here, how it's possible that people, many people, they don't see that we are slipping down in the totalitarian state. And they are not only blind, many people, they lost their, their moral compass. So if we wanted to find answers, we have to look again in history. So... Why in 1940 so many highly educated people in Nazi Germany, they supported their dictator? The same happened, for example, in Soviet Russia or different and Eastern Bloc, you know, how this can happen to civilized people. So I can say that if you have experience with totalitarian system, just like I have, or you know someone and you are willing to listen to them, then you might be fam familiar with psychological phenomenon called mass formation psychosis. Recently, I heard excellent interview with Matthias Desmet, Belgian professor of clinical psychology, who explained in detail what mass formation psychosis is and how it's created. The word psychosis describes condition in which the mind loses touch with reality. I mentioned that in the past, when I was talking about demoralization and destabilization. As I have personal knowledge of this mental state from living in communist Czechoslovakia, I would like to explain mass formation by combining my own experience with Professor Desmet's observation. So to create the condition needed for mass formation, society must be polarized, fragment. We talk about that. So that people, they don't have sense of social bonding and they don't feel deeply connected. The goal is to mold nation into mob, literally. This is exactly what happened during the last few years. So constant fear mongering was used to spread panic. Everybody was obsessed with climate change or COVID. The fear that takes hold population becomes so the population then will become so focused that 
it's create process very similar to hypnosis. And people, they will lose ability to critically think. So some kind of paralysis sets in. This is when totalitarian dictator steps in and sees their opportunity to take control. Instead of recognizing them as a dictator, the crowd sees them as a saver. And since the crowd believes they are not evil, the dictator knows they are free to, to proceed with their nar narrative and to continue to lie about their motive in the order to gain absolute control. In this situation, and especially when they control media, anybody who contradicts the narrative must be attacked, demonized, or even imprisoned, or even killed. People who are hypnotized by fear of death are inclined to side with totalitarian propaganda. So that whoever dares to question the false narrative, it's labeled as a common enemy. We had so many of them in communist Czechoslovakia. People who are hypnotized by fear accept their loss of their freedom and even that they are willing to accept atrocities. And this is what happened in Nazi Germany and in communist countries. So if we wanted to summarize, how does dictator take complete control of society? Number one, by polarizing society, isolating people. Number two, by demoralizing. Number three, by destabilizing society. Number four, by threatening people who dare to oppose their oppression. Number five, by bombarding people with propaganda, supporting their totalitarian narrative using media and professionals. And number six, by feeding people constantly with anxiety, hysteria, and fear. And this will result in mass formation and also will result in that society will split in three groups. So the first group, it's about 30%. They are completely consumed by fear. They are hypnotized. They, they lost basically concept of reality. The second group, it's around 40%. It's the silent majority. They sit on the fence and they don't go, they go with the flow and they are not supporting or opposing the first crowd or the last one. And the last group is 30%, around 30%, who know who is happening, who speak out and who actively resist and oppose the dictatorship in any way they, they can. The role of last group is very important. Why? Because once, all opposition is eliminated, then every dictator will proceed with atrocities. Literally, the last group who is speaking out is preventing society to go to this complete last stage of killing people. In this process, dictator will kill not only opposition, but also people who believe in their narrative. Why? We saw that in, in different communist countries and even Nazi Germany. Because dictator knows that eventually those which the dictator used to get in totalitarian power would discover the truth and try to form opposition. So they are trying to eliminate them, especially those who many of them, they've been altruistic people in 50s in Czechoslovakia. They've been all executed, literally executed. The Communist Party 
of Czechoslovakia engaged all media to create national outrage against those who've been accused of betrayal and collaboration with imperialists. They use mythology of mass psychosis to mold the nation in mob, which would turn against so-called traitors and request the highest punishments. Yes, they thought they were, they were requesting that they be that those people who are collaborators with imperialists and traitors to to just young new communist society, they would be executed. They really requested that because they've been completely brainwashed. So my question is, are we oblivious? I met during my speeches, and I did many of them, many people who are like, well, this happened in Soviet Russia. This happened in Eastern Europe. This happened maybe in Venezuela or something like that. This cannot happen here. No, 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 only in our society. Well, it's happening now. I can tell you it is happening now. And our ignorance is not our bliss. It's our peril. It can cost us the highest price, extinction of our society as we know. Our ignorance is giving time to those who are actively working on subversion of Western societies to totalitarian state. Well, our current situation is not accidental and it's not even a result of pure incompetence. As Dr. Mercola said in his most recent article, many of us heard about great reset. Once you understand the globalist plan for great reset, you realize that all the things need to happen in order for great reset to be implemented. Great reset is basically subversion of society to totalitarian state. There is no democracy in, in what is planned as a great reset. So the energy grids of the Western world are being dismantled in order to justify a new green economy based on carbon credits. It will push people to bring of despair, which might make them more likely to accept solution, solutions that would normally would be rejected. Talk about universal income. The same is like electric vehicle society would also dramatically limit your ability to travel. So what just recently, World Economic Forum said new social norms would also be created to define fair share of personal emission represents and the term acceptable levels of personal emissions rationing into every area of your life. We ask that would record your travel, heating expenses, and even food which you eat. I don't think this is really sounding like democracy. You know, this is absolutely horrible. So I think we cannot afford to be oblivious. We must continue to speak out and question all narratives. Otherwise, we we are basically our children and grandchildren. They don't have future and they won't have the life which we had. So that is a nutshell. Everything what I wanted to say today. I was speaking okay. for almost one hour. No, that is fantastic stuff. Do you have time to answer a few questions that cropped up here? Or? Yes, just few. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, the first one is who is pulling the strings here specifically, do you think, in terms of who is, what? Who is behind this? Who is trying to push us into totalitarian society? Who's doing this? By my opinion, everybody who is working on great reset, 
Okay. It's basically behind this totalitarian, behind this narrative to turn Western society to totalitarian state. Well, they are starting with Western society because basically they wanted to distribute wealth, but I think they wanted to achieve that globally. Now, so far we know that United Nations, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, all those big organizations, they are part of this great reset plan. But uh, they know, and Carl Schwab already said, that they raise a new generation of politicians who are in different countries. And one of them is our current prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. So just to mention one of you. Okay. So... We call them globalist in nutshell. Okay. Do you think the the Chinese leadership is trying to impose communism outside of China in Canada, the U.S.? Is that part of it or no? I don't trust the Communist Party of China. Only I am starting to have feeling from them a little bit. They, they definitely are, they are trying to influence outside. We they now they announce that they will monitor Chinese citizens in Canada. So. And it's a literal infringement of something like sovereign country of uh, Canada. And in this plan for Great Reset, I'm starting to feel from or having feeling about them that they would like to be dictators in their own country. They don't like to be dictated by somebody else. In the past, I saw that, for example, in Romania, Ceausescu, he was difficult, difficult for Stalin, for example, because he was dictator and really bad dictator in Romania. But he refused to follow or obey what Stalin was telling him. So sometime, or as of recently, I'm starting to have the same feeling from Chinese. Okay. So they are going maybe a little bit uh, uh, against Great Reset. I will see how everything will evolve. I'm not sure, but I, I'm starting to feel this way, that they wanted to be dictators in their own country. Okay. All right. The next question is, you lived for 27 years under communism in Czechoslovakia, right? Were the people armed at any point or was part of it to disarm the public before they, they could impose their will on the public? All arms, they've been collected and confiscated before communists, they came to power. That's a requirement, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. That happened, that happened also, for example, in Venezuela. Just read yeah. what happened in Venezuela. We know how... Some some political leaders, they are trying to do the same in Canada or United States. And of course, they will tell you that they want to protect you. But criminals, they don't care about those. They will always find a way how, how to obtain any fire, firearms. But once you are in really bad situation, that means you cannot make money and earn living. So you are... What is your option to stand against oppressors if you don't have any any you know, anything to use that? So yes, there is absolute reason why they wanted to disarm citizens. And then that last question I have here is this: you had some good stuff about your actual personal life, what it was like to live under communism. For people who haven't read your article, do you want to mention just a couple things about how crazy it was in terms of trying to get a garage or an apartment or just? I think that's interesting. People from outside don't understand what that was like. I, I was, my eyes were open to read that kind of thing. Well, as a part of social justice, Communist Party of Czechoslovakia was controlling everything, meaning that we didn't have any primary ownership and everything, all economy was centralized and everything was controlled by them. So if you wanted to get an apartment, they basically, they will give you an apartment 
you had to put your name on the list and wait. The same was for daycare, the same was for garage, the same was basically for everything. And in 50s and 60s, even the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia, they told you where, in which company you will work. They also made decision which school you will study in some cases. I'm not saying 100%, but in many cases, I saw that. So when I finished university and I went to my first company, which was at the time still was communism, the communist party, they had their branches in different, in different companies because every, everything and everybody was controlled. And they had their people there who've been even paid full time as a political figure. So let's call the, they, they establish always their branch. Let's call that as a, something like communist party for young people. So I, when I started to work there, many of us have been called in one big room and uh, this political figure who was uh, controlling all political narratives in this company had speech in, and he said that they're doing lots of activities and he would like if we can join that, uh, that branch and what else. And uh, then they started to ask everybody if they would join. And majority of those people who've been there, those young people, I knew them from university. We went for beer and, and we, we were doing lots of activities like young people, but they've been scared already. And all of them, they were saying, yes, 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 yes. And I was so fed up. I didn't want it to be any, any hero, but I said no. And it was silence. It was complete silence. And this guy, he told me, okay, after this meeting, you will come to my office. I was 24 years old. I definitely didn't try to be a hero. And when I went to his office, he was yelling at me. And he was telling, forget about receiving apartment. Forget about receiving daycare. Forget about any promotions, any salary raise, anything. We will remember your name. You have no idea how I was scared. At that time, I was really lucky because my boss for engineering department where I was working, he didn't like them. And when I had a chance to tell him what happened to me, he said, don't worry, your performance here will be purely estimated based on your result as an engineer, not your political actions and beliefs. So... This happened in the 80s. I probably would be not lucky if that would happen in the 70s. So we got apartment and daycare and everything only because my husband applied for that. And uh, I didn't receive anything. Now, if you wanted to have a garage, again, you had to put an application. So I put application. I believe that that was probably 1982 or something like that. But I still did not receive answer. So the thing is, if you wanted to survive, it was not any more important. What do you know? but who you know. And that is something what I'm starting to see here. So it's breeding huge incompetence. We're also saying that who is not stealing from state, it's basically robbing his own family. Everybody was stealing because the property did not, did not belong to anybody. It's all of us, so why not? And the morals, they've been completely, completely down. To be honest, to be truthful, it was considered to be naive. Like, oh, 
you don't know how to survive. You have to know someone and you have to give them something. There was no question about if you're supposed to give some bribes. Of course, you, you're supposed to, to bribe. We only did, didn't know how much. That's all. So it's, it's absolutely horrible because it's teaching your children that not your result from school and not your, your result of hard work in your business or company can help you to achieve success. It's if you will find somebody who is corrupted and, and that person will help you to, to achieve something else. So demoralization absolutely the highest level as you can picture and this of course result in destabilization everything was rosy and nice until the products started to disappear and we know that for example before co-ops in soviet union they had they had tickets for 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 food vouchers my friend too, who grew up in communist romania she said that she does remember when she had to wake up at 3 a.m. and wait for milk with her mom. In our case, it was different products than milk, but it was there. It was just, you couldn't buy. You couldn't buy. Don't mention about, you wanted to buy a car. Again, you are on waiting list. Maybe in two, maybe in three years. Again, you have to know someone. So everybody was lying to everyone. And everybody was corrupted because that was the way how to survive. Do we want that? The reality was not a communist utopia in any way, right? It was, seems like well, I can see that here. Yeah. And everything is starting with lies. We have to start to tell ourselves true. If morals will not return back, if politicians will not stop lying us, if media will not stop lying us, we will not know true. So do you think the most important thing that all of us can do then is to speak out against uh, all the lies? Is that the absolutely. most important thing? This, this, okay. this is absolutely because then we are done. We, we are going to really, really dark place. So I think that's a good place to wrap up. I really appreciate this. This is fantastic stuff. And I hope I can have you on again someday. But thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tom. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.